Today's message I've entitled, Jesus is the only way. Now what does that mean, that Jesus is the only way? It means that Jesus is the only way to have a relationship with God. It means that Jesus is the only way to have your sins forgiven. It means that Jesus is the only way to spend eternity in heaven. Now, those simple truths are considered very intolerant today, are they not? Very exclusive. But it's what the Bible teaches. It's what Jesus himself taught. John 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so in that simple verse, Jesus makes it clear that he is the way. He's not one of many ways. Jesus teaches that he alone embodies the truth. Jesus tells us that he is eternal life with no other options. And if we didn't get the message, Jesus says at the last sentence that no one comes to the Father, Father God, except through him. He is the only way. Peter continues to preach. In the early church, in Acts 4, verse 12, he says, speaking of Jesus, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And so Peter also makes it clear, and there's many verses in scriptures that make it very clear that Jesus is the only way to have a relationship with God. The problem we face today in America is that 69% of adults believe that they are Christians. Now that number is going down actually. But still, it's a vast majority of people would call themselves Christians. They believe they're Christians. And yet, a majority of those who call themselves Christians, 64%, believe that all religions are of equal value. The majority of people who consider themselves Christians believe that all religions are of equal value. What do they mean by that? Well, they mean that there are many ways to God. That's what they think. And Jesus is just one of many ways. Perhaps I just happen to be a Christian and somebody else just happens to be a Muslim or a Hindu or a Buddhist. Many ways to God. This is just my thing and, and other people have other things. That is not what Jesus, that is not what the Bible clearly teaches. In fact, one, less, one last statistic will give you only 6% of Americans possess what George Barna, probably the preeminent Christian pollster today, described as a biblical worldview. And in that biblical worldview, it is that Jesus is the only way to God. Only 6%, a, a shockingly low number of people. And I would say... You must believe that Jesus is the only way to be saved in order to be saved. Some might say, well, Pastor Dan, aren't, aren't you being too strict? I mean, isn't it easy to be saved? I mean, you don't have to know everything in the Bible, do you? And surely that's true. A person doesn't need to know everything in the Bible to be saved. But they do need to know the basic truths of what they are professing to believe in. They do need to know the basic truths of what the gospel is, what the essence of a gospel is. And some would say, well, that's, 
you know, that's very exclusive. It's very intolerant of other religions. But it's exactly what Jesus taught. It's exactly what the Bible taught. I mean, there is one God. There is one creator God. And there is one way to have a relationship with that creator God, and that's through Jesus Christ. In fact, the Bible says of all other religions that they are doctrines of demons. Hinduism, Buddhism, all those are doctrines of demons. Why? Because they are leading people away from Jesus, who is the only way they can be saved, rather than toward him. So today we're going to, to look at in a little more detail what Jesus has to say about being the only way. We're going to continue in, in Luke chapter 10, verse 13. Jesus is the only way to God. He says, Woe to you, Chorazon. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. So if you've been following along with us, we're going through the Gospel of Luke and we talked last Sunday, Jesus was sending out 72 of his disciples to bring the kingdom of God near to the towns in Israel. And he was telling his disciples that some of these towns would receive their message. They would receive the gospel message while others would reject it. And Jesus calls out two of these towns, Chorazin and Bethsaida, as towns that would reject the message of the gospel, the message of the kingdom. And he said that mighty works were done in these cities. What were these mighty works? Well, they were the miracles that Jesus did and the miracles that his followers did, these 72 disciples did. Then Jesus compares these two towns in the New Testament with two towns familiar to the Old Testament, Tyre and Sidon. And these towns were called out by a number of Old Testament prophets as being wicked towns. Towns that would be under the judgment of God. And yet Jesus was saying that the people of those cities in the Old Testament would have repented if the miracles that were done in the New Testament times had been done in them. We learned that receiving the gospel begins with repentance. Repentance of the sins that we have done. Jesus goes on in verse 14, says it will be more bearable in the judgment day for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. I just mentioned this here, we're not going to it in depth, but there are degrees of judgment in hell. It's going to be a place of everlasting, eternal torment for everyone who ends up there. But there are degrees of torment in hell. And he's speaking of different degrees. There's another Israelite town, Capernaum. It seems that this town was very prideful. Will you be exalted to heaven? But he says, you're going to be brought down to Hades, which is another name for hell. And Jesus explains to these 72 disciples what this meant for their mission. He says, the one who hears you, hears me. And the one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. 
until Jesus was letting his disciples, these 72 back then, and letting us as his disciples today know that there are going to be people who reject the gospel message as we present it to them. Some of these cities, Jesus said to the disciples, would reject the gospel even though these, the gospel message was backed up by supernatural miracles. Now the disciples were sent out in Jesus' name. And so the gospel that they were preaching was the gospel of Jesus. Presented in Jesus' words. And when that gospel message was rejected by people, was not received by people, they were rejecting the message and they were rejecting Jesus. Not the disciples. And if someone, Jesus said, rejects me, rejects Jesus, they're rejecting God. God himself. Jesus is the only way to God. If you reject Jesus, it's the only way you're rejecting God. And so the fundamental question that every person on this planet must answer in their life is, who is Jesus? Who is he? And the answer to that question can only be found in the word of God, in the Bible. And who a person thinks that Jesus is, in their own opinion, is meaningless if it is incorrect or contrary to the Bible. Many people who claim to be Christians believe in a Jesus of their own invention. And so I believe in Jesus. Well, who is this Jesus? And they explain who Jesus is to them. And it's not who Jesus is. Well, that belief is of absolutely no value at all. If a person believes in a Jesus of their own making and not the Jesus who truly is alive today, the Jesus of the Bible, they are not saved. And so believing in the real Jesus and what he taught about himself is the only way to God. And so how can we tell if a person is, is really a Christian? In one way, many ways, one way is to simply ask them the question, do you believe there are many ways to God? Do you believe there are many ways to God? If the answer to that question is yes, they're not a Christian because they don't understand who the real Jesus is. Jesus is the Son of God. He is the only way to have a relationship with God. If they believe he's just one way to God, that is not correct. And their faith is misplaced. So you have an opportunity then to tell the people about who Jesus really is, what the gospel really is all about, and why it is the only way to God the only way to be saved, the only way to spend eternity in heaven with God. And since Jesus is the only way we can take authority over Satan's power. In this next verse, we jump forward to when the 72 disciples came back to Jesus and reported to him how things had been going on their mission. And they said in verse 17, the 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. So Jesus had sent his disciples out. He told them to do two things. One was to preach the gospel of the kingdom. And the second was to heal the sick. And when they returned, we find they rightly understood that healing the sick included casting out of demons. And we see that repeatedly in the gospels. Now notice that the authority that the 72 disciples had was not their own authority, 
They said the demons are subject to us in your name. They were casting them out, not in their own power, not in their own authority, but in the name of Jesus. The 72 disciples had been trained. They had been, uh, were now putting into practice the three ministries that characterized Jesus' mission on this earth. And these three ministries, if you've been listening for quite a while now, as we go through Luke, they're repeated over and over and over again are sharing the gospel, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, secondly, healing the sick, and thirdly, casting demons out. Those are the, was the ministry of Jesus. He trained his disciples to practice the same three ministries. We see the three ministries carried on in the book of Acts and continued throughout the New Testament. And those are the three things that we should be doing today as well. Jesus said to his 72 in verse 18, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authorities to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. And so Jesus was saying that as his disciples were setting people free from demons as they were going out in their mission, he saw a vision. And in that vision, he saw Satan plummeting from heaven just like a lightning flash falling from heaven. In other words, Satan's power was being defeated through the ministry of these disciples. And how was this happening? Well, Jesus had given them authority. And Jesus gives us authority today to take that and use that authority over demonic powers that are all around us. Jesus spoke of this authority as being able to walk on serpents and scorpions. Now, how many people want to walk on serpents and scorpions? I don't want to get close to them. If I see a snake, I run the other way. And scorpions, I've never seen one, but they are in certain parts of the world, and they have a deadly sting as well. And so those are things that are very dangerous. And Jesus says, I'm giving you power and authority to walk on those dangerous things. Of course, that refers to demonic powers. They are dangerous. But in Jesus' name, we have nothing to fear. Jesus concludes by saying to these 72, and nothing shall hurt you. As you go out in the name of Jesus, you're going to fulfill the mission I've given to you, and nothing will hurt you. Nothing will deter you from that mission until you complete it. Verse 20, Jesus says, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So the most important thing in our lives is not that we can heal the sick, even that we can preach the kingdom of God, that we can cast demons out. The most important thing that we need to be sure of is that our name is written in heaven. What is that all about? The book of Revelation tells us there's a book in heaven. It's called the book of life. And in that book is written the names of every person who has been saved through the blood of Jesus. If your name is written there, you have eternal life. And that is what we are to rejoice in as believers, that our name is written in heaven. Jesus gives his followers the power to take authority over Satan. Satan. 
And so just as Jesus came, the Bible says, to destroy the works of the devil by healing people, by delivering them from demonic oppression, that's our mission as well. I know it's common to think that those things only existed back in Jesus' day. And of course, the devil and his demons would like nothing better than for us to deny he exists. In fact, most people don't even believe Satan is a real being. Believe he's simply a symbol of evil. No, he's a, a spirit being. He's a fallen angel, as are his demonic followers. And they are just as dangerous today as they were 2,000 years ago. They're still around. They don't die. Many people's problems in lives, their bad habits, their addictions are due to demons. If you've been reading and going through the Gospel of Luke with me, which I hope that you have been, because we're just going through it sequentially, you've seen that battles with demons are everywhere. I mean, I'm not just pulling out a few verses. It's, it's everywhere. And it's there for a purpose. It's not, we're not making a mountain out of a molehill. We need to take authority over demonic powers in people's lives as we pray for them. And without going into great detail, that one of the gifts of the Spirit is called discerning of spirits. To be able to, through the knowledge of the Holy Spirit, to discern what type of evil spirit or demon is affecting a certain person. So that we can accurately deal with them. And so God has given us, as believers, as part of his army, the weapons to defeat the enemy. And as we set people free, Satan's power is being diminished. It's as if he's falling from his power in heaven and being cast down. And so I pray that God would help us to increasingly grow in taking power in a uh, taking authority over Satan's power. God reveals hidden things to his children. Verse 21, that same hour, the same hour that he had just received this report back from his disciples, he's 72, and was giving them some instruction, it says he rejoiced, that's Jesus, rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. And he said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and reveal them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. And so as the 72 came back, they were full of joy about what God was doing through them. Jesus was full of joy as well. He rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and he thanked God. He thanked God for revealing hidden truths to these disciples. Things they had never known before. And he refers to these disciples, I assume they were grown adults. He refers to them as little children. Not the wise with great understanding. And so God reveals hidden things to those who don't think they know it all. Let me say that again. God reveals hidden things to those who think they don't know it all. God's revelation is given to those who want to learn new things. 
God's revelation is given to those who seek to follow Jesus and do the same things that he did. Verse 22. All things, Jesus said, have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows who the Son is except the Father or who the Father is except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And so Jesus then begins to speak of his relationship with God the Father. He knows and has been given all things by the Father. He's been given all power. He's been given all authority. And Jesus chooses to reveal who the Father is to those who follow him, to those who are his disciples. And Jesus continues to do that. He did that to the 72, and he does that for his disciples today. He reveals to us who God the Father is. And no other religious leader who's ever walked this planet, whether it's Buddha, Muhammad, or whoever, was able or was able or is able through their writings to reveal who God the Father is. Only Jesus can do that. Verse 23, then turning to the disciples, he said privately, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it. And to hear what you hear and did not hear it. The Old Testament prophets and kings were waiting for a Messiah who would come in the future. Who would do miraculous things. They were waiting for a Messiah to come who would, who would tell them, teach them about God. The creator of, of everything. And yet they only had glimpses of what he would be like. But now, finally, these 72 disciples and the others who walked and talked with Jesus had had revealed to them hidden things that had never been seen before. I think back at the whole Old Testament. And there were occasions of demonic powers doing things in the Old Testament. But I don't recall a single example of demons being cast out of someone. It seemed like when David played the harp, some of them kind of quieted down for a time. But they came right back into Saul, that's for sure. But these disciples, these 72 who were walking and talking with Jesus, had been blessed to see these hidden things that had been hidden for thousands of years. And we are blessed. We are blessed to be living in the time in which we live. A time after Jesus has died and been resurrected and ascended back into heaven. A time when the Holy Spirit is being poured out. On every person who opens their heart to receive his power. God is still revealing hidden things to his children. Who seek him. And he blesses us in that way. So let's think a little more deeply about Jesus teaching that God reveals hidden things to little children. Jesus said elsewhere that unless someone receives the kingdom of God like a child. He cannot enter it. So how can we become like children to see the hidden things of the kingdom? Mentioned this before, but children are eager learners. They don't think they know it all. 
And as we grow older, that's a temptation to think, we know that. We know this. We know that. We've heard that before. Children are eager learners. God wants us to be eager learners. Children love to try new things. They see a, a little baby and they begin learning to walk. They don't just start walking. They take a few steps and they fall down. Do they give up then? No, they're going to try again. And they're going to fall again. And they're going to keep trying until they get it down. Until they keep walking. Children try new things. They're not stuck in their ways. And that's, as we grow older, we need to keep on trying new things. The things that God calls us to do. Even though we may never have done it before. Even though perhaps we don't know somebody else who's done it before. Keep trying new things that God leads us to through his word. Children, by nature, follow and imitate their parents, for better or worse. Uh, they just end up being like mom and dad. So parents, with children at home, make sure they're imitating good things. So how does that apply to us? Well, we need to, by nature, follow and seek to imitate Jesus first and foremost. And not say, oh, it's too hard. I can never be like Jesus and just give up. No, we are called to follow him. We are called to learn to do the things that he did. Children by nature don't seem to care what people think of them. That's before they get cell phones. <clears throat> Children by nature, they don't really care what people think of them. They for the most part. They just do what they do. And too often, we're afraid of, as older people, what will people think? What will people think if I do this or say this or try this? And what will people think? We need to care most about what Jesus thinks. What Jesus thinks of us. And to please Him in everything we do rather than giving in to the fear of man. Little children tend not to be prideful, but humble and receptive. Humble and receptive. And so God desires to reveal hidden secrets, the hidden secrets of his kingdom power to those who have the openness of a child. God desires to reveal hidden secrets to those who actively seek God's revelation. Who seek to tell others that Jesus is the only way. Even if it offends them. Who seek to discern and destroy Satan's power in people's lives. Who seek to be a worker in God's harvest field. God reveals hidden things to his children. And so Jesus is the only way to God. And that is an essential and profound truth. Jesus is who he says he is. He's not what someone would like him to be. Many people do not know who Jesus really is. Just because they say, I believe in Jesus, you need to find out who is the Jesus they believe in. It may not be the Jesus who really is. 
God desires to use you and me to tell people who Jesus really is. Jesus came to set people free from Satan's power, and he's given us the authority to deal with demonic powers. And so let's use it. Perhaps thinking about doing what Jesus did sounds a little crazy. And you're going to feel a little pushback. But let's become like little children who love to learn new things, who love to do new things. God reveals hidden secrets to those who follow him like children. And those secrets will bless your life. And they're going to help you bless the lives of people around you as well. Now to become a believer of Jesus, it's simple, but it's based on who Jesus really is. It's based on the gospel that he taught. First thing, we need to repent of our sins, to turn away from our sins. Secondly, we need to believe in Jesus, the real Jesus. The Jesus who died on the cross that our sins might be forgiven. And the Jesus who rose again from the dead and is alive today. And then we submit our lives to him. We invite him into our lives, submit our lives to follow him as our Lord and Savior. So let's bow our heads right now and going to give you an opportunity if you'd like to recommit your life to the Lord this morning to recommit your life to him. So it'd be a good time to do it. I'm going to pray a prayer and I encourage you just to pray along with me. Father, today I repent. I turn away from all of my sin. I turn away from following my plan for my life and not yours. I repent. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He lived a perfect life and died on the cross that my sins might be forgiven. Please forgive me. I believe He rose from the dead. He's alive today. And I submit my life to Him as my Lord and Savior to follow Him and His plan all of my days. In Jesus' name, amen.